Kia ora, good morning, Fano. It's great to be with you. Always counted a privilege to be able to bring the Word of God on a Sunday morning. Uh, and we're into our last week of our Behold series in the lead up to Christmas. And uh, who's, who's enjoyed the series so far? Yeah, some phenomenal sort of messages coming out and looking at the background of um, this infancy narrative. And so this morning we're going to jump into another part of that narrative uh, together. But one of the things that we need to grasp is that we're looking at the story behind the greatest story that ever was. You understand that? The story that's behind the story, this infancy narrative. And this week, we get to unpack a little bit of Simeon and Anna's story uh, as they come uh, to the temple uh, and as Mary and Joseph bring the baby Jesus to the temple uh, for all of the the general rites that they do. Now, this story, uh, some of you may have seen a dedication a couple of weeks ago in church. Luke 2 is actually this infancy narrative is where we get our tradition of um, dedication from. Uh, As Jesus was brought to the temple and presented before uh, the people, so we do the same thing. And so this is a little bit of where that comes from. Uh, And I want to call this week um, expectation and anticipation. It's all about expectation and anticipation from Simeon and Anna as they jump into the story. We are in the Advent series, as as Craig said, and it comes from this Latin word adventus, and it means coming, the coming of Jesus, the coming of Jesus that brings joy, the coming of Jesus that brings hope to all people, the coming of Jesus that brings peace in the season, and the coming of Jesus examples to us the love that God had for us. Uh, It's an amazing season, and I hope you're excited about it as I am. And let's pray as we open this morning. Father, we thank you for your word and how it speaks to us. It brings life to us. We pray, Holy Spirit, this morning as we open this, um, open this word this morning, that you would speak. Father, that uh, man's words would be put aside and that they would hear you speak, Spirit, from this text. Uh, Father, we, we this morning uh, stand with those who today uh, are no longer expecting or anticipating the return of relatives. Uh, Lord, those who today, anticipation and expectation have a different meaning, a darker meaning. And this morning, Lord, I ask your peace and your presence around those this morning who are wrestling with that. And Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're, uh, if you're following along and you have the old school Bible that still has paper or an app, you can open up to Luke 2. Um, we're going to be looking at the infancy narrative after Mary and Joseph have had Jesus. Uh, they've got this baby boy, and I'm sure the presence of the shepherds and, and these angels and people turning up. I mean, you could imagine a shepherd turning up just after you've had a baby. How many ladies would be like, get out of my room? You know, like, we don't need any more shepherds around here, you know. Um, yes, thank you for the gifts. Now get lost. Um, some of us say that to family. Uh, but anyway. Having this baby and understanding the place of this baby in the world and in their lives has, has begun to settle a little bit in their hearts. And I think that's, a, that's an important thing to, to get our mind around, that, that God continues to astound them. And they've come to the temple to fulfill all the rites and purification rites and so forth that uh, are required of them um, after, after the birth of a baby. And we read 
in chapter 2 and verse 22, these words. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it was written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with that uh, that was said in the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, I want to jump into these details just a little bit because there is never any superfluous details in Scripture. These details tell us something about Jesus and his parents. They were here to fulfill this ritualistic process. Yes, they were Jews. And uh, as, as Jews, they would follow the law to the letter. And, and this particular law about purification rites comes out of Leviticus 12, a whole chapter about when you have a baby. Okay, You can go and have a look at that a little bit later. But they were following all these ceremonial cleanliness um, rituals um, because once a, a woman had a baby, she was considered unclean, and anyone who was associated with her, maybe touched her during that time, there was this uncleanliness, and we all go, ooh, that's a bit heavy. Um, but it was part of this ritual. They wanted to come to God in purity of heart and cleanliness of hands. There was this awe, there was this reverence about God, and they wanted to make sure that everything about them was right when they went to the temple. We read in some of the Old Testament passages, you know, they, they tied a rope around that guy's leg that went in there because, hey, we're not coming in after you, buddy, so we're going to pull you out with a rope if you're dead, you know. So um, there was this awe and this reverence about the holiness of God. And so they brought Jesus to, to fulfill this. Women were um, called unpure for, for 40 days, um, and they weren't allowed to enter the temple. And this obviously dismayed Mary quite a bit. I mean, they had all sorts of things. They had this thing called mikvah. They still do it, some of the Jewish uh, believers today, where a woman during her menstruation, I can't believe I'm talking about that in church, menstruation, uh, she gets the week off. Hallelujah, how many women would like that? Uh, and they go to the temple and there's a special bath where she prays and she dips herself in the water, all right? They have all sorts of things like this. Why? Because of the reverence and awe for God. We kind of lose that. God's holiness to stand in his presence. There is nothing wasted in these details. The other thing is that um, Mary and Joseph bought pigeons. Okay, They're The rats of the sky, right? You're like, what sort of offering is that? <laughs> but if you read through Leviticus 12, they, they, they bought those things because they were the lowest form of offering you're allowed to bring and still be called ritualistically pure, pure after that. It was that offering that even if you were the most meager and humble means, you could come and you could offer those things before God in the temple. You see, their heart was to be um, for their family to be allowed back into the temple courts to worship and to bring their offering and to honor God's miraculous work in them and through them. What an amazing family. You know, not only did they get God's son, but they were sitting in the space like, they didn't take that for granted. They didn't think to themselves, oh, well, it's God's son, we can do whatever we want. No, they were following the law to the letter because of the honor of following him. And we pick up that their socioeconomic status was pretty low. Uh, we understand that they're a family that were devoted to fulfilling the law, but also their desire to re-enter those courts talks about their reverence for God. 
And it's easy uh, in these, um, these um, moments to think of, uh, I guess, Jesus um, as a kid walking into these places and into this, um, into this temple as a kid. But as a youth pastor, there's this huge gap uh, in the biblical narrative between when Jesus is born and he starts ministry. What is the youth pastor supposed to do? I mean, if we can't even work out what Jesus was doing when he was in a teenager, how are we going to tell other teenagers what to do, right? And so in the midst of this, we, we get these details of, of Jesus entering the, the temple courts and, and also him, um, you know, later on uh, um, challenging the very Jewish religious leaders in that temple court about the law as he opens the scroll of Isaiah and talks about himself. Now, as a kid growing up in my family, there were very few customs. Uh, we, um, it, you know, enjoyed Christmas. Um, we didn't have Easter because we weren't a Christian family. And so that was about it. And, um, you know, as you get older, you know, presents become less and less. Yeah. How many of you this year are looking forward to your socks and undies again? For Yep. Oh, I saw a few hands. Shh. Your wife's watching. Yes. They're looking forward to your socks and undies. This is the kind of thing like uh, tradition, ritual, man, it kind of gets lost. One of the things that was beautiful when um, I got married is I got to inherit some of the beautiful traditions um, of my wife's family. And one really simple one was that when it was your birthday, everyone who came to your birthday, you got a cake, you always got a cake, got to have cake. All right, and just my wife's nodding. Yes, that's correct. Um, you get a cake, but you also sit around and every single person in that room speaks a blessing over you says something positive that they love about you as a person. You, we can have 20 people in that room sometimes. What a beautiful tradition. I mean, as a kid, that never happened to me, but to have and to listen to that praise and that blessing be spoken over so many, it was, it was, it was very rich. And so I wonder, <laughs> what are the traditions and the customs that you hold over the season that are rich, that refocus you on the things of Jesus and who he is? the heartbeat behind the creator of the universe? Is it just a nice time of gathering together and opening presents? I hope it's more than that. And what new traditions, born from the overflow of our devotion like Simeon, can we start to add um, and add value to our, our personal lives during the season? Uh, these are values and traditions that shape our future, that build joy, sense of anticipation and expectation, but they, they come out of a place of devotion and love for God. And I want to encourage you in the season, think of some new tradition to add value to your faith. All right, we're going to move on. Uh, chapter 2, verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous, other translations say just, and devout. He was waiting the, awaiting the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. What a promise. What a promise. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Simeon was old and he had been waiting many years. And then these amazing words. 
for my eyes have now seen your salvation. Wow. Which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of, the pe- of your people Israel. You can sense in Simeon's words that there is this expectation, this anticipation that has been bubbling for years. As a kid, our our family tradition was that we would go to one of my auntie's houses uh, for Christmas. Three aunties, uh, some of you know I'm I'm related to Ross Horton, so we go to his mum's or someone else. Anyway, three aunties would go around there. There'd be 40 or 50 people coming around for Christmas lunch. I heard this morning someone had 34 grandchildren coming. 34 grandchildren, hallelujah. Um, but you can imagine the, just the noise and the cacophony and you've got aunties running around, you know, sorting out food and it's just awesome, you know, 40 or 50 people. But the thing that was most amazing about it was the presence, okay? The presence. My parents would give me, you get to choose one present in the morning, right? One present. Of course, as a kid, you go for the biggest one which is always the most disappointing one. And you go for the biggest one, you open it, yes, oh, that, I've got to suffer through the rest of the day with that. Um, I wasn't ungrateful at all. No, I wasn't. <clears throat> but what, what they would do is they would, at my auntie's house, you can imagine with 40 or 50 people, they have this tree on top of it. You know, they'd have to put it up on top of the heater or on top of the TV. We had one of those box TVs back in those days. And then the presents, there were so many, 40 or 50 people, they filled half the lounge. You know, they're just everywhere. And um, I would just look at them and go, wow. You know, it's just the eight-year-old's utopia, just looking at all these Christmas presents. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And the problem was, we'd have to have lunch first. (laughs) I got my present at 7 o'clock in the morning. I don't want to wait till 3 o'clock to open the presents. What sort of sick people do that to kids? Three o'clock in the morning, you know, like, come on. Uh, anyway, so at three o'clock, this antip- anticipation is building. Oh, you know, kids that are eight and nine just look, they've had Fanta already. You know, all the aunties are chucking chocolate at them. They're just hopped up. Yeah. I was that kid. Uh, but anyway, I've lost my notes. Here we go. Uh, the anticipation and the expectation just about made us explode as kids. And all day long we watched and we waited. We went out and played cricket. We'd come back and look and, you know, is Uncle Jimmy in there yet with a Santa hat on because it's about to go down. Here is Simeon, well advanced in years. For many years he had waited expectantly, anticipating. What might he do or what might he say when he sees the Messiah? I think this through for myself. I'm just like, man, he must be absolutely fizzing like an eight-year-old kid, hearing what God is doing and what God's going to do, and he's, he's a part of that. But like my uncle yelling, it's present time, and you know, just the Holy Spirit spoke to him, gave him this prompting, it's time, Simeon. It's time, go to the temple. This guy's like 80-something, you know, all the different commentators talk about him being really old. And I wonder, what was he feeling as he made his way to the temple? Was he like me as a kid? Was he like some award recipient with a pre-prepared sort of script that he'd made for many years and adjusted and tweaked? Or was he more reflective that this time had come? 
I wonder. I want to introduce you to this lady. Her name is Hilda Griffin. Um, I remember sitting with this amazing matriarch in my previous church and having her share some of that same longing. Uh, this fine lady you see is 105 years old. Um, her name's Hilda Griffin, and she and her husband had put aside land um, for the church that I was at, and we built that church, and she owned that land when it was still farmland in West Auckland. Now there's just nothing but houses for miles. Some of you can uh, sympathize with that here in, in Tauranga, all these Aucklanders coming down this way. Um, and I would pop around monthly as, as her pastor, and I would sit with her, and we'd have a cup of tea, and we'd chew the fat. And uh, she, was, she was amazing. And she, she had this, um, this lament about life, uh, how long she had lived. Um, and I'd always think, man, that seems, seems a bit negative, you know. Um, she's such a lovely lady. Um, but she, she would say to me, um, you know, Rob, it's, it's not an ungrateful sense. It's a longing sense for heaven. See, she'd spent her 105 years loving, serving Jesus, understanding him from Scripture, and getting to know him, walking the journey with many, many people. And she would say to me, um, uh, Rob, I can't wait to meet Jesus. I can't wait to see my loved ones again and enjoy true retirement. See, Hilda, up until she was 101, still attended our church regularly and led a small group. She led a small group of youthful 80-year-olds. Can I get an amen, Bob, eh? Youthful 80-year-olds. <laughs> and, and she would the last one she was doing was Revelation. Hallelujah. Of all things. But the thing that I love about her is... She would, she would always just bring me in and give me some amazing words of advice. And when I asked her what kept her passion for Jesus and faith alive, she would reach out and she would touch her Bible and she would say to me, you can't be passionate about someone you don't know, Rob. You can't be passionate about someone you don't know. And she said, do you know Jesus like Hilda and Simeon? Do you understand God, the way, his holiness, the awe of God in such a way that you long for heaven and you long for his word and you know more about him that just continues to build that anticipation and that love for him? Does the word of God and his Holy Spirit have sway in your life? I want to ask you, when was the last time Scripture or the Holy Spirit prompted you to action, to do something with your faith. If it's been a long time, I want to encourage you, get back to your word. When I think about Simeon and Anna and my friend Hilda, I realize actually age doesn't give you an excuse to retire from faith or ministry, does it? In fact, it's at 65 plus, that generally speaking, you have never been more time rich, you've never been more financially free, and you've never been more life experienced and mature. Now, there is some anomalies in that, and we all know them, but generally speaking, that's the truth, is it not? And yet in the number one thing those in that age bracket often feel 
is loneliness. They're not included, this, this isolation. We need to shrug some of those false biases we might have of age and usefulness um, for the kingdom, amen? I grew up without grandparents around. What I would have given to have a grandparent to ask me the why questions uh, or answer all of my why questions. A grandparent to give me wise advice. A grandparent who would talk to me about who Jesus is and why getting to know him through the word sustains me for life. I want to say to you in this room, you are the most useful you have ever been. You are the wisest you've ever been, and we need you at 65 plus. See, for a family like BBC to truly thrive as a church, we need our grandparents doing what grandparents do so well, inputting into our lives. We need the Simeons and the Annas of faith to prophesy and to to speak into our worlds about the Jesus they know and are passionate about. This is a season for you to be a part of that. See, this expectation and anticipation are all about this. Living in the light of a hope that brings perspective to the present. See, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. And we stand in the space in between. Are we anticipating and expecting God to come in the midst of this? Jesus is coming again. We celebrate his first coming as an infant, but we also grab a hold of living in anticipation right now of a second coming. Let me talk about Anna briefly before we close. It says this in verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what had been said about him. And then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. Thanks for the stink message you're giving me. And then be a sign that will be spoken against. What? That uh, So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Imagine hearing that as a mother for the first time. Oh, this is about my son. But then it goes on to say in verse 36, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, and from the tribe of Asher. Remember, no superfluous details here. This is important. She was very old, and she'd lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow until she was 84. She had never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment that Simeon is holding that baby. She gave thanks to God and spoke about a child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Simeon and Anna are amazing people. You know, Anna, it's estimated, I looked at some of the commentaries, it's estimated that she was 105. You can see why I chose Hilda for my picture. There was plenty of physically, powerfully strong leaders in that time that didn't make Scripture, the, the details of their life, their father, their tribe, this, this whakapapa that, that came, it, it's an, it comes out of incredible faithfulness. And that it was in the infancy narratives, one of the most important stories in our Christian world, 
And here is Anna, known by what tribe she came from, who she was, and her absolute passion for God. A woman who, you know, although over 100 years old, in that time, almost impossible to live to that age. People were dying at, you know, under 60 generally. But here is Anna. Often women who were widowed struggled in their society. And so little needs to be said in terms of her credentials because what is mentioned is enough to put all readers in awe of her. See, Simeon is listening there uh, as his fellow prophetess speaks of the child revealed to her in Scripture as well. The same spirit that was speaking to Simeon is, is revealing Jesus to her. It's a powerful moment. And she, with Simeon, would have recalled the passages from Isaiah and, and Daniel, their hearts recalling all of the stuff. After a long obedience in the same direction, she would have had that same expectancy and anticipation. And we recorded just one sentence that she said, and it was something probably God put right in her heart. I want to invite the band to come and join me. I could imagine uh, for Simeon and Anna, putting weeks, months, years, telling anyone who will hear them, Jesus the Messiah is born. Jesus the Messiah is born. God revealed it to us in Scripture. He spoke to us by the Spirit. Jesus the Messiah is born. I could imagine weeks and months until they were taken into their final retirement. This morning, I want to close with just one question that lingers for me as I read Simeon and Anna's stories. Could you recognize Jesus this morning? Is your, is your passion for him, is your, is your anticipation in the season so much so that when the Spirit revealed and you were, you were brought before um, him in the temple, would you recognize Jesus this morning in others, in your own story? Simeon and Anna looked forward to a time when Israel was no longer under Roman control, but they recognized the Messiah had come. I want us to take just a moment to quiet our hearts, and as I pray, I want you to linger with that question. Could you recognize Jesus this morning? Are you anticipating and expecting something from God in this season? Let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful that you're present among us, revealing Jesus to us at this very moment through your word and through your spirit. This morning, Lord, we desire to know him in a way that just builds our heart and causes us to run around the temple saying, Jesus, the Messiah has come. Lord, in the season of Christmas where we, we get to discover again the backstory of our faith, may we be inspired with new traditions new things that you're calling out from us. And Lord, not to make empty New Year's resolutions, Lord, but to start living even today before we celebrate in a way that is expectant and anticipatory of your coming the second time. We thank you for your presence among us and your words speaking to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.